Welcome to another episode of The Weekly Warrior, where we discover the warrior within. I am your host, the one and only Connor Edelbrock, here to shock you into your true warrior. On the show today, I sit down with Nicole Batway, a bikini competitor who shares her experience with prepping for her first show. Enjoy the episode. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Connor. How's it going? Um, Pretty good. Pretty good. good. Thanks for being on with us today. Yeah, of course. So we're going to jump right into it with our first question. Okay. So I'm curious to know, when did you first get interested in bodybuilding? And then what was the appeal of it? Okay. So my first interest in bodybuilding was probably back in high school. My high school had small bodybuilding competitions that the seniors could compete in. And so that kind of like planted my seed and I wanted to do it my senior year, but we didn't end up having it. And I don't know if it was lack of interest or maybe they just decided it wasn't a good thing to be doing anymore. I feel um, like, I feel like that's super rare for a high school to offer that. Really? Yeah. I've never heard of that before in a high school setting. I know some high schools in the Grand Rapids area do it. There's like a junior NPC, which NPC is one of the confederations that people can um, compete in. Oh, okay. Very cool. Yeah. Yeah. So kind of different age categories there. But yeah, my high school had a competition and I think my brother had talked about competing in it. And then I knew people who competed in it when I was in high school. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't very big. It was always just a couple people. Um, But I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I remember telling one of my teachers that I was going to compete. And he was like, yeah, okay. And then we didn't end up having it. (laughs) Dang it. (laughs) But yeah, so that was kind of uh, my first interest in it. But I would say for me to actually um, dedicate my time and effort to training really came from getting out of college and getting back into fitness. And mm-hmm. of course, social media is, is huge now. And so a lot of competitors post on Instagram. And for me, it really just was all the muscles, and but then still super glamorous. So I feel like lifting weights and putting on muscle is typically seen as a really masculine thing to do. Mm, so I yeah. love... Yeah, yeah. But I love that women who compete, they're not afraid of lifting and putting on that muscle. Um, but we still get to be like girly and get all glammed up too. So yeah, it's kind of the best of both worlds. Like you have yeah. kind of the aesthetic goals that are a little mm-hmm. bit more masculine. Um, but then you still get the glitz and the glamour of it. Right. And I really like too. for me, it's like, yeah, I can train hard as fuck in the gym. But yeah. oops, sorry, I don't know if I should say that. No, that's fine. I can train, I can train really hard <laughs> in the gym. But then I, I like I, I'm still a bit of a girly girl. So it's nice to be able to have both of those things. Yes. And yeah. Cool. Nicole. So before we kind of dive into talking specifics about your training and your prep, can you just give us a quick, concise timeline of how long did you have before you were prepping for that very first show that you did? Yeah. So I contacted a a coach. So I worked with a coach and I contacted her in February of 2017. And at the time I was training for a 10K and she said, okay, when you get done with your 10K, we will start bodybuilding training. And that worked out. So I officially started training with her in May of 2017 And I worked with her for over a year. And so my first six months with her, I worked to put on muscle. So that was my bulking period. So I lifted and I ate with the intent of putting on muscle mass. And then for the second six months is when my cutting period, excuse me, where I was in bikini prep, which is when you cut for your show. So you lean down um, and intentionally work out for that fat loss. And then my first competition, I competed at the end of May in 2018, so Memorial Weekend. And then I did a second competition two weeks later. And then the aftermath, which is a whole, that's a part of it too, but yeah, um, not necessarily the training aspect. So yeah, it was really a solid year. It was six oh, yeah. months, six months of bulking, mm-hmm. which the bulking sounds fun to me. Can you, <laughs> can you tell us um, just really briefly what that was like? Yeah. So um, that was my first time really being dedicated to a training plan. So I would go to the gym for an hour and a half to two hours, probably five or six days a week. Um, and that's two, two hours of your day. But then the nutrition part's huge too. So thinking about what you eat and how you eat for muscle gain. So thinking about your carbohydrate intake versus your protein intake. Um, on days that you train, you want higher carbs. On days that you don't train, your fat intake goes up because you don't need those carbs to fuel your muscle regeneration. Yes. Um, so you, when you started bulking, mm-hmm. you started this training program and then yeah. you dove into this nutrition plan. Can you talk about 
what your diet and exercise looked like before you started compared to what it looked like during kind of that first six weeks bulking period? Yeah, definitely. So before I started training with my coach, I've always been someone who's a little health conscious, um, fitness, wellness, health in general is a passion of mine. And I work in public health. So thinking about eating healthy, so complex carbohydrates, eating whole grains, low fat dairy, lean meats, making sure your snacks are healthier, good fruits and veggies. Um, but I, I typically just kind of ate whenever I wanted and whatever sounded good as long as I deemed it to be like, yeah, this is a healthy snack. Um, when I started working with my coach, um, even, even a little bit before her, cause I wanted to get used to it. I started doing flexible dieting where I counted my macros. So mm-hmm. macronutrients being your protein, carbs, and fat. Um, so I essentially worked with my coach and she set kind of my macro levels. And so for bulking, um, my My journey for bulking or my experience bulking was we wanted to maintain my body weight because if I was gaining muscle and maintaining my body weight, then my uh, body fat would naturally be going down as well. Mm -hmm. But with this bulking, so you're eating, you're working out really hard, um, you naturally get heavy or heavy, hungry. Um, And so weekly check-ins, she would kind of help me reassess how much I was eating. And I started eating more and more and more carbohydrates. So when you're bulking, you should be eating more carbs so that your muscles start to fill out and develop. Um, I feel like that's the part that sounds fun to me. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And it's nice to being on a flexible diet because tracking your macros. So I use my fitness pal to track kind of what I ate. And so um, I weighed out almost everything that I ate and um, tracked it through that MyFitnessPal app. And with that, it would be nice because if I wanted to stray from like my plan for the day and eat a donut, I could, but that meant that I'd have to cut down on other stuff that I was eating, but it was still nice to have that flexibility. So, but yeah, looking yes, had... nice because you get to eat. <laughs> yes. You had a little bit of freedom of choice. Yeah. So it's like, you could eat the donut if you wanted to. Right. Um, it doesn't sound right when you first started the first six months, it doesn't sound like a huge departure from your current diet other than you kind of dialed it in. So you started counting, weighing and measuring everything. Yeah. I would say the biggest changes were definitely getting used to counting macros. Um, also my protein intake. So you have, or I had about one gram of protein per pound of body weight that's a lot of protein to just yeah. jump into eating. Yes. Um, so I remember the first, and this was again, before I started with my coach, cause I wanted to get a kind of a handle on macro counting before starting with her. And I remember the first week just feeling miserable and it purely was from just that protein intake and how much it jumped to. Um, you were probably so full. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that was, um, I expected during bulking to feel a lot fuller than I did, but you're also working out really hard and you're lifting really heavy so it takes a lot of energy too. And then you're in the gym for two and a half, well, not two and a half, I'm sorry, one and a half to two hours, but you're there five or six days a week. So it's a lot that you're doing. Yeah. Can you give us an example of like what a training day might look like during this period? Uh, like a day in the gym, like what a gym session? Yeah. Like? A day in the gym during this first six months of that bulking period. Yeah. Um, so my gym, thankfully, is close to work. So I would go right after work uh, and be there for, again, about probably about two-ish hours once you get in and get changed and all of that. And you start with your heavy movements, um, so like your big lifts that you do. So with training for the point – so in bodybuilding, there's different um, kind of like categories and divisions, and I was competing in bikini. Bikini is about well-developed shoulders and well-developed glutes with a slim, a slim waist, so you look for that hourglass figure. So, um, my heavy lifts would be like overhead shoulder presses or, um, hip thrusts or deadlifts or something like that. And then after your big movements, your heavy movements, then you do your auxiliary work to also, um, lift for whatever you're doing for that day. So I would have a push day, pull day, and then a leg day, and then I would have another leg day. So at least two leg days a week, two glute days a week. Um, and then sometimes that fifth day would be like a shoulder and leg combination. Okay. Gotcha. Nicole... So up until this point, what did you enjoy about this process when you first dove into it? 
I thought that was really cool. Um, so like I said, health, wellness, fitness is a passion of mine. It was really cool to learn more about it and more about the science behind muscle development and all of that. Um, to have a, a goal and a purpose for going to the gym, definitely there was some motivation there. Um, and then just doing something that I hadn't done before. So there was, yeah, it was like a new experience Mm -hmm. and like right off the bat, there's lots of motivation, right? To jump in and commit yourself to it. And during that, like you're gaining muscle. So you start to see muscle gains. You're like, Ooh, Ooh, yeah, I like it. Um, Nicole, we'll kind of shift gears a little bit. Can you talk about shifting into that kind of uh, second half of your training. So yeah. when you started the cutting phase, right. So, um, from May until November, I was bulking. And then in November, since I had, so I have never tracked my food before this process. I had never tried to lose weight before this process. Um, naturally I'm fairly athletic, so I've never really had to worry about that. Or I, I felt like I've never really had to worry about that. Um, so starting in November, starting to cut my food was a whole new experience as well. So we call that, or refer to that as prep being in preparation for your show, which is your cutting phase. And so during prep, you slowly start to, um, increase your cardio. So while I was bulking, I wasn't doing any cardio, just lifting. So with your prep, you do, uh, what we would call list or miss. So low impact steady state or medium impact steady state and, Um, those are for the purpose of fat loss. So you slowly start doing more cardio and you slowly start eating less. And the thought is that that creates a caloric deficit for you to essentially lose body fat. Um, so like I said, that started for me around November. And so that is where it became, uh, not critical, but you're definitely for me, I'm, I'm kind of, I float between type, type A and type B for sure. And for me, that was where I started to become a little bit, um, maybe too focused on food, but that's a big piece of it. Nicole, can you tell us what that cardio looked like for you? Incline treadmill walk. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, yeah, not, not the most fun. Um, but so those incline treadmill walks and then, uh, a lot of people who compete also do a stair stepper on the stairs that like rotate. Mm -hmm. Um, but my gym didn't have one of those at the time. They have one now, so I'm a little jealous. But at the time, we didn't, so I just did in incline treadmill walking. Um, so, were you? How often were you doing that, and for how long? Um, so, like I said, uh, you slowly start adding more and more cardio. So, in November, when I started, I think I was doing it three days a week for maybe 20 minutes. So, I would lift, and then three days a week, I would do my cardio afterwards. Uh, but again, as you go throughout prep, you do more cardio. So eventually it got to the point where I was doing more than three days and it would be like 20 minutes and then 30 minutes and then 40 minutes. And then I got up to the point where I was doing an hour. Um, then it went from like three days to four days to five days a week. So my cardio shifted from, okay, 20 minutes after my work to, okay, I'm going to do my half an hour in the morning, five days a week. Okay. Now I'm going to do 45 minutes in the morning, five days a week. So it shifts kind of that way. Nicole, what did you do on the treadmill? Did you watch TV? Did you listen to music? I listen to music. I really like EDM. So um, on SoundCloud, there's a lot of full DJ sets. So I would just listen to one DJ set. And my favorite's Odessa. And so I listen to them. Oh, nice. A lot. (laughs) That's awesome. Yeah, because it does get boring just walking. You're like, well, you really can't talk to a lot of people because it's like five in the morning. Nobody wants to be super chatty with you. Yeah. And you're, you're like in zombie mode too. So. Right. Right. Um, Nicole, can you talk about how your diet shifted during prep? Uh And I'm kind of interested to hear maybe like what your diet looked like on one of your hardest days, like when you were kind of closer (laughs) to competing. Yeah. So Working with my coach, I did a longer prep, but that comes from I had never tried to cut before, so we didn't really know how my body would react, and we wanted to give enough time to kind of figure that out. So November, December, January, now I'd say even February, we did a slow cut, so it wasn't too much cardio, and I wasn't down too much food. And then in March, I went to a music festival, and when I got back from that music festival, it got 
definitely more extreme. And then um, in early April is when it got, well, that would be kind of when I got back. But around the end of April is when it got pretty extreme because mm-hmm. my competition was the end of May. So we wanted to make sure that we were getting down to where we needed to get. Um, but thinking of losing weight, one of the things that you can do when you kind of hit a plateau is to keep your diet super, super, super consistent. Um, and that really helps you kind of break through plateaus. So my body really didn't want to drop weight or lose weight. So when I got back from that music festival in March, my diet got super consistent and I ate the same snacks. I ate the same meals, um, day in and day out for weeks. Yeah. What did you eat? Yeah. Um, so in the morning I would have an egg white omelet with spinach and, um, chicken in there and a little bit of feta cheese. And then for lunch, I would have another egg white omelet. Um, and then for snacks, I think I had like a clementine, lots of strawberries. And by lots, I mean like a half of a carton that's a lot of strawberries for me well, yeah. it was at the time <laughs> at the time yeah so, so much food um and then I also ate a lot of green beans and chicken so one of my bigger meals that I would eat right before I went to the gym to lift would be chicken and then some green beans and then I got to the point where my macros were pretty pretty low to the point where um it doesn't get that low for a lot of people but for me it needed to because again my body didn't want to drop weight Mm-hmm. So I even – I would eat my big meal right before I would go and lift because I needed that energy for it. And then I would get done lifting and I would have two rice cakes, which eventually made its way to one rice cake and so a little bit of um, like protein, the mm-hmm. protein shake stuff. So, Do you yeah. remember – could you, I guess, give the listeners an example of like what is what is that day of calories look like? What was your intake oh. at that time? During my most extreme, I would say it was around 1,100 calories. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, so really not a lot. But, well, and you think um, sometimes when people are trying to lose weight, they eat around 1,200, 1,100 calories. Mm -hmm. Um, But I was also working out three times a day. Yes, you're working out hard. Yeah, so I'm inclined treadmill walking for an hour. And then I go to work and I have my typical work day. And then I go and I lift for about an hour and a half. And then – at some point, I started doing cardio after I lifted, too, because we we're trying to get off even more body fat. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'm not eating a lot, but 1,100 calories to some people are like, oh, that's like a typical diet. But it's like, no, not when you're working not out. Not for that. Yeah. I am. yeah, like my body could barely function. Yeah. Oh, so let's talk about some of those challenges that you faced during the prep process. Okay. So yeah, you're eating less, you're working out more. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Talk to me about like your energy levels and how you were feeling. Yeah. So energy, um, I, I honestly didn't really feel that bad, but a big piece of that is because your body adapts to it. So when you start to eat less and less and less, your body gets used to running off that small amount of energy um, or fuel, but you definitely, your body kind of adapts to that new normal and you get used to feeling that tired. Um, so yeah, I was tired, but I was like, yeah, I'm tired, but it's, it's typical. Um, but I would say I noticed it when I got my energy back after I was done. Um, one of my friends actually, she visited two weeks before my first competition and she still jokes with me about it today and teases me about it today, but she's like, Nicole, you couldn't even wash your dishes and talk to me at the same time because I was so single. T- I needed to focus on this one task to get this one task done. And I had to go on to the next task and it was, it was slow. It wasn't like I was like speeding through tasks. Like it was very slow, like one thing, then the other thing. And it was hard to try to multitask. Um, and I'm a pretty chatty person. So for her to be, and one of my best friends, so for her to be like, you, like you couldn't wash your dishes and talk to me. I was like, well, that was not a good point in my life. Yeah. Yeah. You had this like brain fog. (laughs) Oh, oh. And that's what they call it. They call it like foggy brain or brain fog. And I definitely noticed that in a lot of different aspects too. So, um, one of my friends had a Cinco de Mayo party and I remember just sitting there thinking, oh, it's just nice to be here. Like I wish I didn't have to talk to people because 
thinking took a lot of energy and responding to people. And people were asking me questions about like how training was going and all that. Cause people kind of knew, well, people knew what I was doing um, and that my competitions were coming up, but I just kept thinking like, just let me sit here. It's just nice to be around people. Like you don't have to talk to me. It's okay. Right. All of that social <laughs> interaction became really draining. Oh, it was, uh, yes, it was a lot. Nicole, did you, what did you do? Um, like, did you have to like drink coffee? Were you doing energy <laughs> drinks? Were you slamming Red Bulls? <laughs> slamming all the Red Bulls, sugar-free Red Bulls. Yeah. No, um, <laughs> definitely a lot of coffee. So I drink, I've always kind of liked the taste of coffee, but I'm not a coffee person. When I drink caffeine, I get super, super jittery. Even just like an eight ounce cup of coffee puts me kind of over the edge where I can't focus and I get really jittery. When I was training in my prime for cutting, so that like mid to late April until my competitions were over in June, um, I was having like not just an eight ounce, but like a big cup of coffee in the morning, a big cup of coffee in the afternoon and have pre-workout before I lifted. Uh, but I still was tired. And it's one of those things where I just needed that at that point. I needed that caffeine to even function. So... That's, that's a big increase. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and it kind of went up. So thinking as I went through prep, my caffeine intake went up as well. Um, but now I'm back to my, like one cup puts me over the edge. So if that gives any type of like visualization of how tired I was, like, mm-hmm. I think that's a way to describe it. Like I was so tired. I needed that much caffeine and I'm yeah. a person who doesn't function well with caffeine normally. Yeah. That says a lot about, uh, how low your energy levels got. Yeah. Um, Nicole, going back to how socializing felt draining when you were at that party, Mm -hmm. can you, what were your relationships like overall during the prep process? Oh, um, (laughs) I would say you definitely sacrifice some relationships during that prep process. Um, thinking of the people that I'm closest to. I was definitely really short with them. I remember my mom was help. She was helping me. And um, where I was living at the time, I was in a second story apartment. We don't have central air. We live in Michigan. So it gets hot and humid during the summer. So my mom's trying to help me buy an air conditioner. Like I'm the one buying it. But my mom's doing the research, figuring out what I need, what the best model is, because I just didn't have the mental capacity to figure that out. And I remember her asking me to measure my room. She said, Nicole, I need you to measure your room so we know the square footage. And I I said, I can't. She goes, Nicole, it's five minutes. I need you to measure your room so we know the square footage. And I said, Mom, I cannot. And I started crying. Because just one extra mm-hmm. thing felt like way too much. I'm like, measure your room. And right now I'd be like, yeah, okay, I'll go do it right, right. now. But at the time I was like, no. No, I can't. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. A seemingly small task feels like Everest, right? Yeah. Yeah. And it yeah. just, it kind of pushes you over the edge. It does. So really strain from my routine, I found to be kind of challenging because it's like if I do this routine if I'm here and I'm doing this like I, I got it I'm good I got it and then anything extra it was like oh my gosh do I oh really have to do that? yes because you can kind of operate on autopilot oh a little that's bit. exactly what it is yes and that was something between my competitions I remember telling my coach um that I was having a hard time and she said it's autopilot you just do it and you just like, do yeah it. that's true that's true you just do it it's autopilot. yeah so yeah, your relationship yeah your relationship with your mom, you noticed that started to suffer. Mm-hmm. Did you notice any other friendships? Yeah. So uh, I remember um, one of my friends who lives in Grand Rapids as well, um, when I was bulking, when I first started cutting, I would hang out with her on the days I didn't go to the gym because you have your off days. And then I remember at one point telling her, okay, I'm a weekend friend now. Because that rest day, like I needed it to actually rest. I needed it to meal prep. Um, And then I got to the point where it's like, I really didn't have a rest day because if I wasn't in for lifting, I was still in for cardio. If I wasn't in for cardio, I was still in for lifting. And then it got to the point where I was like, I want to hang out with you, but I just can't. So I went from like a, yeah, I'll hang out when I can to like, no, I'm like a strictly weekend friend to a, I'll see you kind of when I'm done competing, but thanks. Um, I like like that you've clarified that with your friends. Just yeah, well, said, just a heads up, I'm a weekend friend now. And yeah. then it got to the point where it's like, I will see you guys uh, after May. <laughs> yep, pretty much how that happened. Yeah. And, like, you kind of feel bad about it, but you also have this big goal that you're spending a lot of time on. And a lot of my friends um, 
I don't want to say they understood, but they got it. They're like, Nicole's doing this weird bodybuilding thing. Nicole really likes to work out. And I was like, okay, like they can think that, but we're good. Yep. That's what they need to tell themselves. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, but yeah, so definitely friendships were affected. Relationships with my family are affected. And I was actually dating someone at the time. And looking back, I feel very bad for him. Poor um, guy. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because I talk to other competitors or people who have competed and we share like stories and whatnot. And they say, oh, yeah, and I started dating someone during prep. And a lot of their responses are, oh, that poor guy. Yeah. I was like, yeah. So like, people know like it's challenging. But um, he and I started dating. Well, we started kind of like hanging out and talking when I was already in prep. So I was already like two and a half months into prep. Mm -hmm. And so he never got to like experience a non-prep version of me, which is kind of sad, but, um, he and I are, the bulk of our relationship was that like late March, early May until my competitions were done. And that was when I was a miserable person. Like I felt like a shell of a person and kind of like it's like a wet rag, you know, like how wet rags just kind of like sit oh, there. Oh, like yeah, that's a good way oh. to describe it. Yeah. yeah. And it's like that's how I felt as a person. Not a lot of stuff. Like I was excited about things, but expressing that excitement wasn't there. It's hard, yeah. Yeah. And then we were doing long distance at the time too. So mm-hmm. he lived in the Chicago area. And, okay, so here I am saying anything out of my typical is really challenging. So going to visit, like you have to pack all your food. I had to bring my food scale. I had to bring my body, like my person body scale. Oh my God. You bring all your stuff for the weekend, but then you bring all your gym stuff too. So here's asking this person who is having a hard time doing anything extra to do all of this extra stuff to go visit this person that they want to spend time with. And so even though I really wanted to spend time with him, it was so much to do too. And I'm sure it made me just miserable to hang out with. Yeah. You were exhausted. Yeah. Yeah. That is, that's really hard to imagine. What, um, what did you learn from that relationship? <laughs> Don't date people during bikini prep. During bikini prep, yeah. <laughs> period. <laughs> yeah, period. Done. Um, yeah. I would say from that relationship, he was definitely very supportive, which was nice. And I think for me, that showed me uh, – sometimes I feel like I get crazy ideas. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to do this. And it's going to be great. Mm-hmm. And it's nice to know that other people have those ideas and other people think – things are cool that I think are cool. Mm -hmm. So when he and I first started talking, I was explaining what I was doing and he actually started counting his macros for a little bit because I was telling him about Mm -hmm. what I do and how I did it. So it was nice to have someone who had that, that interest in it as well. Oh yeah. So you learned that having a supportive partner is definitely important to you. Yeah, it definitely is. And having a partner who I would say values similar things. Mm -hmm. So he was very into lifting and like wholeness and wellness and all that, like holistic wellness um, and all of that as well. So that was cool. Yeah. So, yeah. Do you, so I'm assuming this relationship ended. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Do you still, do you keep in touch with him today? Like, has he ever gotten to know the post competition, Nicole? No. And that that, that makes me sad too. Yeah. Uh, You know, I'm laughing, but that's something that I genuinely, I feel really sad about because um, I'm not the shell of a person. I do have a lot of interests. I remember one day, so he and I, our relationship ended maybe a week and a half after my second competition. And I think it was just kind of the point where he was like, I can't deal with this anymore. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry. But I, I didn't really know. Like you're in this big giant so competition blues, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But oh, yes. You're in this yeah. big, like, sad hole. And you're, you're just, yeah, like I said, I felt like a shell of a person. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, and then later in the summer, I remember going to get frozen yogurt with one of my friends. And it's that kind where, like, you go to the frozen yogurt place, you choose your flavor, and they choose all the toppings to go on to. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't had that freedom with food in quite some time. Um, and it was something where even after competing – you're not, you're not stuck to your macros, but I'll talk to you a little bit about that too. Um, but you still are really conscious about what you're eating and how much you're eating. And so Mm. that really was the first time that I let myself have a treat and not beat myself up about having a treat. Yeah. I remember skipping through the frozen yogurt place and my friend was like, what are you doing? And I said, I'm so excited. And she goes, you're skipping. And I was like, I know. I'm so happy right now. I'm going to eat all the toppings. Right. And so here's me. Um, Let's think. The week after my second competition, uh, we went out to Colorado to see Odessa. So I told you I love them. We went out to see them at Red Rocks, a beautiful venue. And I, again, had that single denial feeling of, you know, I'm just happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And then 
that's great. And I'm, I was very happy to be there, but I'm someone who skips through the, the frozen yogurt store. Um, my typical would have been way more excited to see them in that venue than just, yeah, I'm happy to be here. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. Yeah. You are a dialed down version of yourself. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's like someone, <laughs> yeah. Someone like just turn the dial down and put you on mute. Yeah. 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 Basically me, you know, like that one bar above me. Yeah. Is probably yeah. where I was. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, Nicole, I want to spend time talking about the post-competition blues that you experienced. Um, before we do that, can you talk a little bit or touch a little bit on, I don't know, like what was your body image like going through this process? Because I know Hmm. you're working on aesthetic goals. Yeah. You, when you do your check-ins with your coach, you're sending photos and yes, you guys you are. are analyzing your progress. So you're yep. analyzing all of the data that you're giving her. Yes. Yeah. What was that yes, like? Yes. Just the comparison. Um, yeah. So I guess an initial check-in. And so I checked in with my coach every week and every week, um, well, every day I would get on the scale and I would weigh myself. So you have weekly data of your body weight that you send your coach. And then, um, I was sending my coach pictures. So in, when you bodybuild and you're on the stage for competition, you have different poses that you do. So you have front pose, side pose, back pose. So I would send her pictures of me doing those poses every week. Uh, and that's to see kind of your body, your muscle development, all that. So when you're bulking, you can kind of see your muscles grow, which is cool. When you're cutting, you can kind of see the body fat come off and see your muscles come out, which is cool. Um, but yeah, you're definitely, you're working out for the point, the purpose that's, a um, like how you look, um, so you do get really analytical of yourself. Uh, do I necessarily love stepping did, or I don't step on the scale every day now, but did I love it at the time? Uh, no, because you see that weight and especially when you're cutting and it's supposed to be going down and it's not going down and then you start to stress about it and then you mm-hmm. get in your head about it and it's really hard. Yeah. And you start to let that number define you. Yeah. Like your self-worth. Right. So talking about body image before I went into this process, uh, and training, I was, I was good with where I was at. You know, I got out of college, got back into fitness, kind of got my body back, if you will, kind of a thing. Cause I definitely didn't work out like I like to now while I was in college. Cause I got sidetracked by different, different fun things, different shiny things. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and so getting back into like fitness and a, a routine with that, I definitely had a, a pretty good body image when I first started, when you bulk for muscle development, you do gain a little bit of weight because the purpose of bulking is to gain muscle mm-hmm. and naturally to do that, you're going to gain a little bit of body fat too. So even though my goal was to maintain my weight at the time, it did go up a little bit and it's like, nobody really likes to gain weight, but right. Hey, I'm, I'm gaining muscle. Muscle weighs more than fat. We're good right. here. Um, and then you start cutting and then you start getting super analytical of yourself. And is this muscle going to come out enough? Am mm-hmm. I doing it right? Do I look okay? I remember emailing my coach, um, probably in early April, uh, maybe mid April saying, do you think I'm going to be lean enough? And she was awesome. I don't think I would have survived without a coach personally, but, um, she was awesome. And she said, Nicole, like six weeks out, you shouldn't be stage lean at six weeks out. And I said, okay, yeah, that's good to know. It's very reassuring. Yeah. And then for me too, something that really helps was those before and after pictures. So I had like weekly pictures with her. So when you're starting to cut and you're like, I don't know, I don't feel little. And then she sends me this picture of like two months ago, this is where you're at versus now where you're at. And you're like, okay, like I see more muscle. I got that. Got it. But you're so used to your body that I would just look at myself and I would not feel lean enough, but you could see all my muscles starting to pop out. But for me, I couldn't really see it. So the progress photos and doing kind of like the side-by-side comparisons helped a lot. Yeah. Yep. It definitely did. Um, Nicole, so when you did your competition, the first competition, would you say that you were the leanest you had ever been? Yes. But then something you told me is that feeling on stage and comparing yourself with everyone else. Yeah. So what, so when you're competing, most people, um, are the leanest they've ever been. So when someone is stage ready, they are typically at an unhealthy body fat percentage. So our bodies have a certain amount of body fat that we need to like maintain typical body function. So most compet, well, yeah, most competitors, I'm not gonna say all, but most competitors, especially, um, like professional competitors or pros, um, 
get to a point where their body fat is so low that it starts to affect their normal body functions. Mm -hmm. So you're super, super lean. You have next to no body fat. Um, And for me, I was standing there looking at all these other girls and I just felt so fat. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. So here I am, the leanest I've ever been, uh, the most like shredded, most shreddy, muscly I've ever been. And I just feel big. Mm -hmm. I was like, hmm. Yeah, that was an interesting feeling for sure. Yeah. Because I, I knew, like, weight on the scale, like, it would, I weighed less than I did when I was in high school. And, uh, like, in your face, you can kind of see your cheeks are, like, swollen in and sulking in. Um, but, yeah, you're just standing there comparing yourself to everybody else, which they tell you not to do, but mm-hmm. you do. Like, it's a typical person thing. Um, but, yeah, I just remember standing there and being like, I am so fat right now. And I'm like, that is not true. But... Yeah, yeah, that's really tough. Can you, um, we won't talk about this for very long, but I know mm-hmm. when females get really low yeah. with their they body their fat periods. percentage. Yes. Yeah. Did you experience yeah. any of those like endocrine issues? Um, yeah, I did. I didn't fully lose my period, but I had a wonky period for a couple mm-hmm. months. Um, so I was on contraceptive, taking the pill at the time. Mm -hmm. And even though I was taking the pill, my period started coming early. And I was like, this is weird. Mm -hmm. So it came like a week early and then it came two weeks early. And then I was just kind of like spotting on and off. And I remember telling and talking to my coach about it. And I was like, what's going on? And she said, well, it's a good thing that you're still having your period and you haven't completely lost it, even though it's irregular. And I just remember thinking, yeah, but I'm on the pill. I'm supposed to like, this is meant to keep me regular. Yes. Yeah. So that was interesting for sure. Um, Okay. So I know you did two back-to-back competitions. They were – Can I say one more thing? Yeah, yes. So um, your period, you get really wonky before you compete. Uh So it it takes a while for your body to get back on its typical hormones too. Um, I've essentially – so I competed May and June – And then I feel like I didn't have my first normal period again until September. But between June and September, I totally felt like I was going through puberty again. Oh, yes. That's so interesting. Yeah. Yeah, I was like having really bad breakouts and like horrible, horrible cramps. And I was just like, am I 12 again? Like, What's happening? Yeah. Yeah, That was – that was an experience as well. You're right. Your body needs that time to readjust again. Yeah. Yep. Um, Yeah. Let's talk about – that time period. So you called it the post-competition blues. Yeah. So it was after. Yeah. Let's talk about that. What was that like? And what does that mean? It was sad. Yeah. Um, It's something where thinking about how sad I was, I still get really sad about it. So um, post-competition blues are after you compete, the time after. So you have this goal that you're working towards. You're in this big caloric deficit. Your body function slows. Your brain function slows. But it's okay because your competition's coming up, so you kind of have a goal or end in sight. Um, if you think about it like going on a trip, so you're so excited for this trip, and you go on this trip, and you come back, and you're like, oh, I wish I was on vacation still. Mm-hmm. Kind of the same thing. You have this one goal in mind, and then you get there, and it's, it's a long day, lots of emotions. You're tired. You get done, and it's the next day, and it's like, okay, what do I do with myself now? Because a lot of people are um, pretty burnt out feeling. You don't want to go to the gym. You're still – in this big caloric deficit. So you still feel tired. You still feel all of this. Um, You have a lot of emotions about how the previous day had gone. And it's not something that goes away in a day or two. Mm -hmm. It's something that takes time to overcome. Um, And a lot of that goes to being in that big caloric deficit because you're not supposed to start eating like a typical human again, um, a typical person. Because you just created this big caloric deficit for yourself, you slowly need to start working out less and less and less, and you slowly need to start eating more and more and more and more Mm because your metabolism is just toast. Mm -hmm. So for me, I was also dealing with some other things. So I mentioned um, my boyfriend at the time and I broke up recently after my competitions, and I think a lot of that was because of how I was emotionally, um, like things would just put me in meltdown mode. Um, that typically wouldn't bother me. And that was while I was training. And then I got out of it and 
Um, so I'm through competitions. I'm feeling really burnt out. I don't want to go to the gym. Um, I don't want to work out. You're having these big struggles with food. So the week after, um, like I, I feel kind of embarrassed still talking about it and saying it, but I had some big issues with binge eating. And then there were a couple mm, of days yeah. too that because I was binge eating, then I threw up. And it's like, that's not me. Like I've never had issues with food like that. So mm-hmm. you're struggling with that and you're embarrassed because you can't control your food intake anymore and what you're eating. And you feel like you don't have self-control and you're like, I just controlled what I ate for almost a year. Why can't I control myself now? So oh. you're beating yourself up about it. So yeah, that was, it sucked. Yeah. It, it's almost like you expect yourself and your body to be able to just snap back. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like that's yeah. what I would imagine. It's like, okay, competition's over. You just kind of expect like, okay, next day we just snap back to how we used to be. Right. And you definitely but, don't. Yeah. And then you yeah. still feel, you feel sad. You lose your motivation because competition is over. Mm-hmm. And then you feel like you lose control with, your food. Yeah. And that was something. So like I said, I kind of did two competitions back to back. So I competed Memorial weekend. Um, so that was on a Saturday, Sunday, I had issues binge eating and I talked to my coach about it right away because I had this other competition and I was like, okay, I just, I just did this. Like, what do I do? How do I get back on track? And she, she had talked to me about it before. Um, like my coach, like I said, she's awesome. Um, and she was open, honest with me. We had talked about what what I would be feeling afterwards. And she said, you're going to probably feel sad, like competition blues, all of that. And it's one of those things where it's like people tell you and you're like, yeah, okay. Like I get it. But then it hits you and you're like, Oh, Oh, okay. Now I, I really get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so having her as a resource and helping me get on back on track for my second competition really was awesome. So I only had really one issue day after my first competition. Um, and then we talked about it and then I went through, did another, um, peak week. And then after my second competition, like I didn't reach out. So I competed again on Saturday. So then I had Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I flew out Friday for Colorado. Um, I didn't talk to my coach about my binge eating issues after my second competition, I think until Wednesday, just because I was so, like so ashamed and mm-hmm. so embarrassed about it. I said, and then, like I told myself, like, I had this issue already and she told me like what, how to help myself. And I'm, I I can't do it. Like I already reached out for help. Like I'm just so, um, like I feel like I'm letting myself down, letting her down. Yeah. Yeah. Can you, I did it again. Yeah. Can you share, maybe share an example or a story of what that binge eating looked like, like what maybe like you had to eat that kind of just triggered and you just felt like you lost control. Um, yeah. So thinking when, after you compete, like I said, you should slowly start eating more, working out less. You're still tracking your food. Um, so I had meal prepped all my food for the week and I brought stuff to work that I was supposed to eat. I didn't really, again, want to work out. So after I got done with work, I went home. It's like, okay, for the last four months, I was used to getting up, going to the gym, going to work, going to the gym, coming home, and going to bed. So to have all this free time, like, first of all, I didn't know what to do with myself. And then um, it was summertime, and a bunch of my friends in the area are teachers. So they go do their teacher fun things during the summer, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so I didn't some of my friends that I typically hang out with now weren't around. Um, and then as I mentioned, like that was my routine and we already talked about relationships and how, um, you, your relationships kind of suffer. So I felt kind of isolated and by myself and like, I didn't really have people to hang out with. Um, and so I like, got home from work and I just ate my food, but then you're still hungry and you're like, well, I mean, I don't, I'm not going to compete. So I'm, I can eat a little more. So I eat a little more and, it's like an animalistic sense in your brain. Your brain gets to a point where um, you're essentially, when you're training for these competitions, you're essentially putting your body intentionally into starvation mode to lose your body fat. So your body, when you come out of your competition, your body's still in starvation mode. And our bodies, when we're in starvation mode, there's different chemicals that happen in our brains that trigger our brain to eat. And I just remember, I don't even remember what I was eating, but I was just sitting on the floor in my kitchen and I was crying while I was eating and I felt like I couldn't stop 
eating. Mm-hmm. And then I started drinking a bunch of water to kind of help flush your system. So then I felt disgustingly full and I still wanted to eat even though it hurt. Mm-hmm. And so I finally called one of my friends and I said, I just need to come over to get out of my house where I have all this food and to be somewhere where it's not my food. So I can't eat it. And she said, yes, come over. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I remember driving there and I passed the grocery store on the way and I just thought, Ooh, I should stop in there and get food. And I'm like, Oh my God. Wow. Like, yeah. Who am I? Yeah. Yeah. So that was really, that was an experience. And I've, I've never experienced something like that before, but it was scary. Like it was to the point where it was, I was scared. Yeah. It's not a good feeling to not feel in control of your choices and what you're putting in your body. Right. Yeah. Um, Nicole, did you want to say anything else about the post-competition blues before we move on? Um, Yeah, I guess just that they are a very real thing. Um, I feel like a lot of times bodybuilding and competitions and all that, you get like the glitz and the glam and all the training beforehand. And I feel like competition blues um, and the struggle that people have with food afterwards really isn't talked about a lot. Um, Or even if it is talked about, I feel like what gets the most attention is all that glitz and glam and Mm, all the muscles and all that. It's not the... Um, and people say, Oh, hard work and all this. And it's like, yes, it does take a lot of hard work, but it also takes a lot of hard work after the competition. You know, yes, you're done competing, but you're not done. Like you still need to get out of that deficit that you're in. And that takes work. And that takes not just physical work, but mental work as well. Yeah. We, myself, I would have never thought about the aftermath that you have to go through. Yeah. Well, and like I I mentioned to you before too, so I was dealing with that loss of relationship and competition blues. Mm -hmm. And, um, again, that feeling of being isolated and you get done, um, training and then you don't, you have all this free time and you still kind of feel isolated. So there was a lot for me there that went into it too. Yeah. It wasn't just like, Oh yeah, I'm sad because I'm not training anymore, but it's like, you're burnt out, you're hungry and all that. So, Yeah. yeah. Do you, looking back on it now, do you think you were depressed? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. That whole summer, I was, yeah. Um, yeah. Nicole, since you've been through this process, what, what advice would you offer others who are entering into their first competition prep? Oh, definitely go to a competition. So yeah, <laughs> here, here I was. Thank you. Here I was. Um, <laughs> This person who thought they wanted to compete in high school and then you get – so social media, that's where uh, I learned a lot about it. But I'd never actually been to watch a competition before uh-huh. I competed. So my first time going to a competition was my own. Um, I definitely don't recommend that. Go watch one. Competitions are split up into two pieces. So there's a morning piece, which is called prejudging. That's where the actual competition takes place. That's probably the most important thing to go watch. Uh-huh. And then there's the night show, which the night show is can be fun to watch. It's where people get trophies. But definitely going to the actual competition and seeing it. Um, and then talking to the competitors there. I feel like competitors, we all have different experiences. We all go through different things. My, my prep got really extreme. Not everybody has extreme preps kind of like I did. Mm-hmm. Um, some people, their bodies just naturally lose body weight easier than others. Like I said, mine didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so but just talking with those competitors to get kind of a well-rounded idea of what it truly is like to compete because competing is not just that time on the stage. You put in a lot of work before and, before and after as well. Yeah, that's good advice. And yeah. you... Um, it sounds like you got a lot of value from working with a coach. Would oh. you recommend that for other people? Personally, yes. Um, your coach is very much an objective viewpoint on things or should be. So for me, like I mentioned, I reached out to my coach and I said, I don't know if I'm going to be lean enough. But she had the experience to say, like, you're good. You got this. Um, like I mentioned, I felt very fortunate with my coach. She really looked at the science behind things too um, mm-hmm. and would explain things to me like scientifically about this is what your body's feeling this way. This is what we're doing with your muscles and all of that. So I would definitely encourage working with a coach um, just because they have that experience piece. Um, mm-hmm. Not everybody does. It definitely can be done without working with a coach. Um, but I found a lot of value in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Nicole looking, looking at your routine now, how do you think this experience that you went through impacts your current nutrition 
and training plan? Like, do you, do you still count macros? Are you still <laughs> training like a bodybuilder? Um, I do not count macros. Um, I, and that's funny that you asked that. I remember being, being in the, my cutting phase and being so like you scrutinize over your macros and, yeah. um, sometimes you might call it like, um, like your macro pour or something like that. Cause you don't have a lot. So you kind of got to budget your macros if you will. Um, and I remember talking to one of my coworkers and I said, I don't know how I'm never going to track macros again. Like, I think I'm going to do it forever just because you're so into it. And yeah. now I look back and I'm like, why did I think that I would track <laughs> forever? I was like, that's funny. Yeah. Like, my food? No, thanks. Yeah. Um, but I definitely still see macros. Mm-hmm. So before when I would eat healthy, I'd be like, yeah, fruits, vegetables, all of this. But I definitely see protein, carbs, and fat now. Oh, so, okay. Yeah. So, um, I absolutely love chocolate chip cookies and I have no shame in eating a chocolate mm, chip cookie now. Same. <laughs> yeah, yes, very good. Um, so, but with my chocolate chip cookies, if I have a chocolate chip cookie, um, I don't know, in the afternoon for maybe a little pick-me-up, I know that that's high carb and high fat. So probably for the rest of the day, I'm going to eat some lean proteins and veggies, which are low in carbs. So even though I don't track macros, I still very much view food in that sense of protein, carbs, and fat. Ooh, I actually really like that. The the diligent tracking actually led you to have just more mindfulness. Yeah, it definitely yeah. does. And I thinking about um, just like a typical meal, I try to think about having a well-balanced meal too. So um, when I talked about my egg white omelets, those were super, super protein heavy. Mm-hmm. And that's good. And I would just also like to tell you an egg white omelet for me was not a really big, huge omelet. It was probably about mm-hmm. the size of my palm. So yeah. they're not, they're not big they're portions. Not big. They were not yeah. big portions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so thinking about, okay, well now when I have an omelet, like I love to add in veggies and all of those things and cheeses and make it like a really, um, again, well-balanced. Yeah. yeah. Are there, so just curious, are there foods that you were eating during prep that you just can't eat anymore? Like, are you just like, I cannot eat egg whites anymore? No, I'm actually the opposite. Ooh, okay, interesting. Yeah, so there's times where in the morning, like, all I want to do is eat an omelet. Yeah, okay. like I mentioned, I was eating a lot of strawberries, and I've always loved strawberries, but now sometimes, like, I'll be sitting, and I'll get a random, like, cringe for a snack, and I'm like, mmm, strawberries sound so good right now. Oh, okay. And then my biggest one, um, I love green beans, and I have always loved green beans, and I did not get sick and tired of eating green beans. I literally had green beans, five ounces of green beans every single day for like two <laughs> yeah. months. Yeah. And still, I'm like, can I have more green beans? Oh, okay. <laughs> so it didn't, it didn't ruin anything for you. No, it didn't ruin no. those foods. <laughs> oh, thinking about that, though, something that it did ruin, kind of. Um, when your body is starting to slow down, so talking about being in that mental fog, having low mm. energy, mm-hmm. your body literally slows down, like your whole body, including your digestive system. Mm. Uh-huh. So there were some foods that I like to eat that I was used to eating that I couldn't eat anymore just because my body simply couldn't digest it. So like Ooh, quinoa, interesting. quinoa uh, I got to a point where I couldn't eat quinoa because my body had a hard time digesting it and I felt sick to my stomach from the uh, quinoa. Okay. Uh, p- peanut butter. I yeah. got to the point where I couldn't eat peanut butter, so I had to eat almond butter, which I like uh-huh. almond butter, but peanut butter is like way so much yummier. Yeah. Um, yeah. So your body, again, your energy gets so low, your body's functions start to slow down mm-hmm. to the point where I couldn't digest things that my body typically does digest. Ooh, so, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. I would have never thought about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Nicole, do you, do you still train like a bodybuilder? Um, yes and no. So thinking of bulking, um, you don't do a lot of cardio. But again, I think about the whole person. People definitely need cardiovascular health. You need to work on that health. So you need to do like endurance training as well. Um, And a lot of times you don't get like cardio endurance just from lifting. So I don't train like a bodybuilder in the fact that I like to add in running. I like to add in hit classes or boot camp style mm-hmm. classes. Mm-hmm. Um, cycling, I really enjoy as well. But when I lift, I definitely still kind of lift for that bikini look. So emphasis on shoulders and glutes. Mm-hmm. And that's just something, uh, I mean, I enjoy lifting. I like lifting a lot. But I think, too, kind of lifting for that same aesthetic goal. So kind of in that way, yeah. Yeah. So you like more variety with your cardio. Mm-hmm. Do you ever go back to the incline treadmill? <laughs> no, no, <laughs> I've not done it yet. I thought about yeah. it the other day. Um, I'm yeah. having a couple 
issues with my shoulder right now. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of only lifting lower body, which is challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, and I thought about like, what else can I do? And I was like, I can incline walk. And I was like, no, no, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I do, I do like going for walks, just maybe a little bit more like nature walks. You know? Oh yes. Yeah. 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 Nicole. So you told me you don't think you would do another competition uh, again. But then every <laughs> once in a while, you kind of get that little urge. Yeah. Why is that? I had that urge the other day, too. I think after talking with you and saying, yeah, I still get that urge, I got the urge again. I was like, oh, I could. Um, yeah, I, I still do get the urge. Um, will I ever do it again? I'm not going to say yes, and I'm not going to say mm-hmm. no, because you never Fair. know. Yeah. Uh-huh. But um, I know where that urge comes from. So even though I had this really hard time, and even though right now I look at it, and I'm like, I cannot do that too. Um, especially the mental piece, the physical piece. That's one thing I can deal with that, that mental piece, the struggle that I had was really challenging for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that urge definitely comes from the gains. So even before I competed, I love seeing, uh, like my muscles grow, my muscles developed, um, and training for competing really brought that out. Right. So you're bulking, you're training for that mm-hmm. muscle development when you're cutting it's to show off the muscles that you did comp- um, develop. Mm-hmm. But beyond that, I'm also a pretty competitive person. Um, so when I was first getting into competing, I remember seeing girls post on Instagram about like their old stage shots and then being like, this is who I'm competing against or mm. something like that. And I just remember being like, uh, okay. And I, I mean, I understood, but mm-hmm. now I look back and I'm like, yeah, I can do better than that. I can beat that. I can get leaner. I can have more developed muscles. So like that competition side comes out in yourself where you're competing against your own physique. Cause you want to beat that. Like, um, I would like to get lean enough to see my hamstring tie and really pop out. Um, it would be cool to see all my abs and be really shredding and have a six pack mm-hmm. again. Like I know it's there, but it's definitely, it, you don't see it like you used to. So definitely that, um, competitiveness of wanting to do better, wanting to beat your last physique. And I get that. And especially when, um, like I've gone and I watched a couple competitions. I've had some friends who've competed since and just sitting there watching people compete. I'm like, mm. I want to, I want to do it again. Yeah. Like, oh, no, nope, nope. Not right now. Yeah. Not in a good spot to do it now. Yeah. So it's so interesting yeah. just hearing your story and the post-competition blues that that's still there a little bit. And that's the appeal. That's why people yeah. keep doing it is yeah. they want to beat their own aesthetics. Right. right? And that's um, like, it's a competition. You're competing against other people. Obviously mm-hmm. there's a first place, there's a second place, there's a third place, there's a last place. But ultimately when, especially once you get into, um, even like pros, a lot of them, yes, their competition is the other people, but they really want to beat their last physiques mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. And I can definitely see that because that's how I feel. Like if I were to do it again, it would be purely just to beat my last physique. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Nicole, is there anything else that you would like to add before we wrap up? Um, yeah. So I guess a couple of things that I took away from this experience were um, I have a lot of people in my life who are really fitness related, like they understand fitness, that's something they enjoy doing. Um, but there's definitely a difference between someone who is understanding and someone who truly understands. And I found that People at my gym were understanding, like, oh, you're cutting. Oh, yeah, you must be tired. But then after some of the girls at my gym who competed after me, they're like, oh, dude, I get it now. And I'm like, yeah, it sucks. Mm. Um, but we still do it because I don't want to say we're crazy, but that's something where we pursue those things. We like those things. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, there's definitely a difference between someone being understanding and someone who truly understands. Um, and that came through for me, like, in my different relationships and stuff. Like, I noticed – that. And then um, beyond that, I would say even with a lived experience and someone who understands, every experience is different. So how I had mentioned uh, my, my prep got pretty extreme. Not everybody's prep gets that extreme. Some people, body fat comes off of them a little bit more naturally, a little bit easier. Um, but that doesn't like undermine someone else's experience. So for me, um, my body didn't want to drop the weight. I definitely was on stage and I had more body fat that I should have 
lost to, to be more competitive. Um, and I think a lot of people look at the winners and they say, oh, they work so hard. They put in so much more effort than the other people. And sometimes people who don't win put in more mm-hmm. effort, mm-hmm. you know, and like definitely people who win, um, they put in effort. Every, everybody who steps on the stage it has worked so hard to be there. Mm-hmm. Um, but everybody's experience is, I would say, justified. Um, and how people feel during that experience is very much theirs. Yeah. Justified as well. I like that you clarified that. So everyone has their own experience and this was yours, which is yeah. unique to you. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, cool. Anything else, Nicole? Um, no, I have. That kind of wraps it up for cool. you know, I'm thinking. We, um, so we have one more question. Okay. And we asked this question of all of our guests. And it is, what does being a warrior mean to you? Being a warrior. Well, from my experience, I would definitely say being a warrior is finding that dedication when you don't feel motivated. So thinking of my experience, a lot of people are like, oh, I don't know how you stay so motivated. And it's like, it's not motivated that gets you to the gym when you're tired and you don't want to go. It's that dedication to it. So being a warrior again, is yeah, really finding that dedication when the motivation starts to, starts to fray. Oh, I really like that. Thank you. It's not about motivation. It's yeah, about, motivate, yeah. yeah, it's about dedication, discipline and habits. Yes. Yeah. Right. That, that motivation might get you there to start, but it's really that dedication and that discipline. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the big piece right there too, is that discipline. Yeah. yeah that's what being a warrior. That's a great answer. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Nicole, thank you so much. This was awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me, Connor. Yeah. We'll talk to you soon. Okay. Sounds good. Yep. Bye. Bye. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the weekly warrior podcast. Thank you for tuning in this week. As always, please share this episode with a friend and head over to iTunes to leave us a five-star review. We'll see you back here every Friday when we release a new episode that helps you discover the warrior within.